Just kind of last mile things more so than just the, the 101 football content that separate the winners from the losers. And our belief is that's actually kind of the same in a lot of places in, you know, DOD or in, in commercial environments. I don't know if you've seen Top Gun, but there's like a yeah, great yeah, example of this. Yeah, so so an example of last mile knowledge there is Maverick has all of these insights around how to win a dogfight that have come from years and years of practice. And there's that moment in the movie where he, he takes the natops for the F-18 and he chucks it in the trash. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of the idea of like, that's the table things. That's the foundation like everyone needs to know it obviously it's important but if you're a top gun instructor or you're you're a trainee like you already know that stuff but then what separates him from them is this last mile and how do you start to capture the stuff that's last mile welcome to the just larson show where i interview innovators and leaders today on the show is part two of our interview with andrew powell ceo of learn to win andrew for anybody who missed part one can you give them a quick overview on what your company does Sure. So we are a learning technology company, and we started working in sports initially to improve how teams do playbooks, game plans, scatter work a lot with the Department of Defense and a variety of their training missions. And then more recently, corporate teams use us to get better results faster. Yeah. And then can you tell them some of the most famous sports teams and some of the cool defense clients you've had? Sure. So we've worked with hundreds of sports teams at this point, but some of the uh, most famous ones would be the LA Rams, who won the Super Bowl last year, Pittsburgh Penguins, or Stanley Cup, North Carolina basketball, kind of one of the perennial college basketball greats. We've actually done some work with the U.S. Olympic team, as well as hundreds of other kind of all levels of college, professional, and high school athletics. Cool. And then on the defense side, you've done a lot primarily with the Air Force or, or all over? Yeah. So Air Force, Navy, and Space Force have been the branches that we've worked with primarily. The Air Combat Command within their pilot training ecosystem. Navy, we've done everything from uh, surface warfare officer training to civilian onboarding to actually even maintenance and air traffic control. And then commercially, some of our big customers are actually in sales. We have worked a lot with Regeneron and their sales team. They actually won a recognition for the kind of agile learning innovation that they've done in partnership with us. And then a bunch of other kind of Fortune 500 as well as small and medium-sized enterprises that use us to train uh, their staff in particular in areas where the learning really matters for performance and they need faster, more agile systems to train. You know, I guess my one of my questions is there are so many learning softwares out there. And, you know, we've had other folks on the show with master's degrees in adult learning or learning design, you know, had different folks from corporate training world on the show over the years. And, and then my own background in, in the space, I, I get to see a lot, right? What is it that you think you've done differently that those other folks haven't done to, to achieve the success that you guys have? You're right. It is a, a big space and there's a lot of kind of folks doing really interesting things. I would say that a unique angle that we bring is is our origin in sports. I think that has positioned us to solve the problem in a unique way that it turns out beyond sports, tons of people have. And I would say that's simply the the challenge of how do you move faster and learn better than your competition? Recognizing that we're in highly competitive environments, but sports is almost a laboratory of that competitive environment in the sense that you're playing a game every week. The stakes are high. There's tons of public scrutiny. You know, the coach gets hired or fired based on the success of the players. So there's a great alignment of, you know, if the coach doesn't teach well, then the, they're going to lose their job. And so sports is kind of this laboratory of, of innovation we found um, that 
if you study what the greats like the LA Rams do, I think they're some of the very best learning organizations in the world. And, uh, and just the interesting thing is they were doing a ton of really innovative stuff before we worked with them. They just weren't using any software to do it. And so we've kind of come in purpose built a platform that can help them stay ahead of their competition, learn faster and better than their opponents. And then in doing that, we found, huh, there's, there's lessons that actually really apply to tons of other organizations. And the military units were a natural second step, because if you think about, you know, an Air Force squadron versus is a, a NFL football team. There's a lot of similarities, highly competitive, learning really matters for performance. You have to operate well in a team-based environment. It's high state. And so it was a pretty good translation of the same, both technology as well as process, which which we've come to call agile learning. And then as we've expanded further into corporate settings, we find that if we can say to someone, hey, we can learn a lot faster, a lot better, be much more responsive to the changing competitive dynamics of your business. I and mean, we think that that can give you one of the best competitive advantages, you know, that that resonates with a lot of different business leaders who, who see kind of the translation from what does it take to prepare an NFL champion to what does it take to prepare, you know, a, a world leading sales team that can go out and, and dominate a market. So there are other folks that will show up to corporate America and say that. What are you doing that those other ones aren't doing? Uh, well, I would say one thing is based on the actual work that we've done and the, the you know, insights that we've gained. Uh, the folks sometimes talk about this as like living in the future a bit, but it's, you know, enables us as a product and technology team to, uh, I think, have uh, insights that then are, are able to translate down into, you know, the design of the experience, of the product. I think, you know, really at it, its fundamental area, there's three areas. There's how do you author the content, which for us is really focused on the last mile of knowledge. That's a term that we kind of pulled from telecom and logistics, but it's, you know, what separates the, you know, the NFL champion from the other teams that are nipping at their heels. And we'd say it's, it's not often the foundational knowledge that's kind of common to everyone, but it's really the, you know, leading edge, very last mile things that are in Sean McVay's head that distinguish, you know, their team from the rest. And how do you pull that out of their brain and then turn it into an effective learning experience? Like uh, what's one example of a last mile bit of knowledge? Yeah. I mean, so, so his playbook would be one where it's like the nuances of what plays they're going to run in particular as you get into the later stages of the season and he's coming up with a, a new technique adjustment on a certain play. It's it's those kind of last mile things more so than just the, the 101 football content that separate the winners from the losers. And our belief is that's actually kind of the same in a lot of places in, you know, DOD or in, in commercial environments. I don't know if you've seen Top Gun, but there's like a yeah, great yeah, example of this. Yeah, so, so an example of last mile knowledge there is Maverick has all of these insights around how to win a dogfight that have come from years and years of practice. And there's that moment in the movie where he, he takes the natops for the F-18 and he chucks it in the trash. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of the idea of like, that's Big table things. That's the foundations. Like everyone needs to know it. Obviously it's important, but if you're a Top Gun instructor or you're, you're a trainee, like you already know that stuff. But then what separates him from them is this last mile. And how do you start to capture the stuff that's last mile that's often, you know, implicit or, or tacit or hard to really capture, but it's really what separates success and failure. And, and like, that's kind of what we're really focused on is how do you, how do you capture that? And then how do you actually develop that in other people? So, so such that it's not just sitting in the brain of your top performer, but instead it becomes something that your whole team can, can master. You know, I think my favorite word you used there was nuances. Like I, I think about all the books on mastery that I've read and ways I've tried to apply into myself or to our clients or to our team. And that word nuances 
makes so much sense for me. You know, I think about like I did competitive judo. My, I did martial arts kind of all my growing up years and to adult years a bit. But in the teenage years, it was competitive judo. And it's like, I think that's the perfect word, nuances. Like we can all go learn the throws. I mean, it's it's 40 main throws, I would say, that general competitive judo uses, right? But it's like for me, you know, I was a tall, skinny kid in my weight class all the time. And so mm-hmm. knowing like when when somebody does this, there's a throw called drop Sayanagi that everybody would do on me because I they had so much leverage over me, right? And it's like what what to do, like like the subtleties of like when they yank your gi this way, you like that's an increased probability they're gonna go for drop Sayanagi. So do this because you're you're like, you know, you're a string bean Jess, you're gonna go over the top if you but it's like yep. nuance is the point. Or like like I re- am really into dirt biking in the last handful of years and I'm not very good at it yet. And I mean, compared to where I want to be. Right. And I have spent 30 years snowboarding and, and you know, can snowboard most things that another s- snowboarder could could snowboard. Right? right. That's not the case in dirt biking. And I can't do the wheelies that I want. And, and, you know, I'm not doing I'm doing small jumps, not big jumps. Right. But it is nuances of like, I don't know how much throttle and I don't know how like I don't know what to do when this machine is getting a little out of hand and I jump it a lot. Right. And yep. nuances really that word really worked for me of this. Like, yeah, this thought of like it is those like beyond the fundamentals it's it's those the small nuances that are like a high leverage opportunity right and i think about my teams at work right now like what are what are the nuances to get all of our team to a higher level and then this is probably my next question for you is like i'm thinking about for myself of like at my businesses you know specifically in commercial real estate like mm-hmm. thinking about my own my own learning for myself i just got a new coach he's done like i don't know develop maybe like $3 billion worth of luxury real estate for the Ritz Carlton and all these people, right? So I've got an expert, but then I'm, you know, but I'm still going to have to do all the practice in between and I'm going to have to try and figure out what I don't know. So this is a question that I have for you. All your academic background, all of your real world work with these clients, you as a CEO, what does your personal learning journey look like? Well, I think it starts with understanding what I suppose the the rules of the game are or how the game is played and then what winning looks like and then holding myself to kind of an external standard of excellence. So I try to actually look out and say, who are the very best at this and what can I learn from them? And then like, who do you like right now? Who do you think is who do you think is winning in learning technology and innovation defense or whatever? Yeah, well, I would say one person I've been really fortunate to learn from is Jeff Crow, who's our lead investor from Northwest Venture Partners. And for me, you know, being a first time uh, founder and first time CEO to learn both from his operating experience of founding a company, taking it public, then becoming an investor, being on boards. You know, he's, I think, six or seven time Midas list investor, one of one of really the best in the world. But he's now seen so many repetitions of different things that, you know, it enables me to focus on the very small set of things that I want to try and truly innovate on. And then the, you know, 98% of running a business that I am not interested in reinventing the wheel. I just want to learn what the best people do on it. And so he's often the first person I go to to ask for advice on anything. And a lot of times, you know, he, he may have the experience himself, but then a lot of times he'll recommend someone else of saying, you know, I've, I've seen this, but here's the person you should talk to because they are, you know, one of the very best product leaders based on, you know, 15 years of doing it at a super high level at some of the most successful companies ever. And, and he'll often kind of put me in touch with people like that to then learn from as opposed to thinking, you know, oh, I, I read a book about products like I know how to do this or I, you know, I spent two years doing this in my prior job. Like I, I, I kind of know what it is. Um, so it's not terribly tactical, but but I, I do think that just that habit of, you know, what do I actually really want to try and innovate on? And then where can I just learn from people that have, have done it at a super high level before? It's funny, like 
maybe make the comment that doesn't sound that sophisticated or something, but you know, who better to be able to spot the nuances you're missing than someone who's already been there? Yeah. And I think that piece of figuring out what you don't know and then focusing on on that, I, I think, you know, it, certainly in our work with teams, a, a big first step is figuring out what gaps exist. And rather than kind of guessing, like, how can we actually look at, you know, in the case of sports teams, look at the prior game. What did we mess up in the last game? And what does that tell us about what we most need to improve for this next game? What, what does that look like in a business setting? Like, wh- what is the game film for our teams if we look back at the past, you know, three months? You know, do, do we know what it is? And, and based on that, what's like the one or two things that seem most important for us to fix first? Because I think it's, it's tempting to try to boil the ocean and fix everything all at once. And, you know, but, but really prioritizing everything means you prioritize nothing and you, you at best maybe make a millimeter of progress on each of them. But instead, kind of what's the most, the, the highest leverage use of our time since it, since it is precious to, to be focused on, you know, the, the area where we can make the most improvement. I'm interested, maybe my next question would go a different direction. When you look at the future of innovation for defense, what do you think is coming that maybe people who aren't in it every day don't see? Well, I'm really hopeful that the innovative voices within defense and within the kind of broader community will win out. And I think that is a, a thing to flag. You know, I have huge respect for Mike Brown, who's the director of Defense Innovation Unit. And I was really sad to see that he'll be retiring, I think, in, in large part because he's frustrated that the DOD is not making enough progress in the right direction urgently enough. And I think that, you know, his vision and others that, that share it of let's leverage the world-leading technology ecosystem in America to bring kind of great commercial capabilities to the defense mission is better than, you know, the department trying to build from scratch things that honestly already exist at a better level commercially. You know, the, the, the department trying to build new AI models from scratch when they could instead work with some of the world leading AI folks that could could bring that technology in is one example where much, much better to, to buy than to build. So I'm hopeful innovators will indeed win out because then I think this massive market that's been largely unserved will be suddenly wide open for kind of commercial technology to uh, advance it much farther than it has been. And I think you know, people talk about in startups, you want to be uh, non-consensus, but right. I don't know if you've kind of heard that framing before, but it's like if you have a two by two axis, you, you can either be right or wrong and it can either be consensus or non-consensus. And if you're if you're consensus and right, then it's probably an OK outcome, but you'll have a ton of competition. Uh, but if you're non-consensus and right, that's where the massive outcomes happen because, you know, you're you're correct and you have no competitors. If you're not consensus and wrong, you look like a lunatic. But <laughs> it's, you know, that's uh, funny. I so no, I haven't heard it that way. But I hear that principle from Warren Buffett and his followers like Howard Marks or Bruce Flatt all the time. You Bruce Flatt's got mm-hmm. 600 and something billion over it at uh, Brookfield. And he put up a poster in the in the offices of most of their locations around the world. It's a it's got like thousands of sheep going to the left, falling off this cliff. There's one mm. black sheep going the other direction. There's a little thing above us, you know, above the sheep says, excuse me, you know, the black sheep going the other right. direction. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, and it's like this, this same principle of like that, that the higher returns are made from where the crowds aren't going. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally. But it's harder to be right going that direction. It's just so valuable if you can't, if you are. Right. Right. And so that's where, you know, put a pin in this conversation. We'll look back five years from now and I'll either be, you know, non-consensus and right. And and basically the non-consensus bet is like most venture investors say pursuing government as your first market is not a great idea. It's just, it's slow sales cycle. It's very, there's all these different regulatory requirements. It's, they can't make up their mind. There's political, you know, dependencies. Congress never passes a budget on time. Like all these different reasons why it's a bad, but because everybody thinks that it's a bad idea, if you can figure out a way to make it a really successful outcome, then you have 
massive upside. And so that's part of the bet that we're making. I also think there's some significant tailwinds because unlike six or seven years ago, I believe there's bipartisan consensus that the U.S. needs to fundamentally change some things to secure our future and that we have real competitive threats that in the past were, you know, a distant second to us as far as, you know, one example of that is in in war games, China actually seems to win over U.S. And that's in current models, current capabilities. And and that should be a big, scary thing that I believe all Americans should care about. Where can somebody look that up or how do we find out more about that? So there's a great article recently that Trey Stevens wrote in, I believe it was in War on the Rocks, but Trey Stevens is an investor at Founders Fund and chairman of Andrew Rule Company. I have a lot of respect. He's put out some really good content on it. If you also go to the Technology that? Innovation and Great Power Competition website from Stanford, the course that we put together, there's incredible videos and resources that go into more detail on a lot of why this is all important and what the latest kind of military strategists are thinking. Interesting. Well, we covered a lot of subjects. Maybe another one is just thinking about innovation more generally. When you think about, you know, learning from professors like Steve Blank and VCs who you've got mentoring you and just the experience you've had so far, what do you feel like are some of your principles for innovation that have been working so far? Well, I would say a lot of it is about figuring out where you want to focus and then not reinventing the wheel. Otherwise, I think that's some of the biggest challenge. But, you know, for us trying to reinvent the ways that organizations teach to give them a competitive advantage is really the only area we want to significantly reinvent things. Almost everything else from how we do marketing to our sales motion to how we build our financial models to, you know, all of that. We just want to figure out what's worked really well for people and apply it. So I think in some ways, you know, innovation is about freeing up your headspace to focus on the couple things that really matter and are distinctive and then try not to spend any unnecessary energy on anything else. I think the other piece of this is, you know, harkens back to how we got started. But I think a lot of times for very early stage folks in particular, there's about like 10 hours of effort that stand between something always just being an idea versus turning into a real venture. And for for me, that was putting together the very first prototype of what the learn to win learning experience would look like and showing it to one football coach. Because once I had one football coach who was like, oh, this is cool. Like this is a, this could be great. Like I would use that if you built it. Suddenly it was a real thing and not just an idea. And so I often for aspiring entrepreneurs who are looking to potentially start a company, I'm like, what, what could you do in about five hours or maybe even just make it one hour? What, what could you put together in that amount of time that you then can show to someone that if they then believe like, oh, there's something there, it'll give you such a boost of energy that you can then do the next hundred hours. And, and my belief is that it's a very small amount of investment that can actually make all the difference in whether this turns into something or not. Simple advice, but it's so good. Thanks. Yeah. It, it, in hindsight, honestly, it's like we're four years in and there's 35 employees and have, you know, raised 14 million bucks. But it, it honestly was like probably five hours on one Saturday afternoon that had that not happened. I doubt that any of the rest of the stuff would have happened. Well, congrats on all the success. Thanks, Jess. Anything you want to leave us with? Why don't you give us the website, but but anything else you want to leave us with just in general? Yeah. So the website's learntowin.com. And if anybody is, is interested by anything we said, we'd love to connect. And yeah, I, I think that the mission of entrepreneurs working on defense problems is a really important one. And so if someone's a founder and they have technology that might potentially be useful, encourage them to to reach out and see if there's ways that might support national security. And I'm hopeful that, you know, we, we apparently are the, the first company ever coming out of the Hacking for Defense course to transition successfully to a recurring government contract. But I hope that there'll be, you know, dozens and hundreds down the line because if it's, if it's just us, that's not going to be nearly enough to really tip the scales. But if we get, you know, hundreds of other smart problem solvers who are fixing different aspects, then I, I feel a lot more optimistic about the future. That's great. Well, thanks again for doing this. Thanks, Jess. My pleasure.